All right. Good morning, you guys. Wait, not even, not even remotely close. Good morning, you guys. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Maybe a little less. No, I'm really glad you guys are here. I'm a little scared now that it kind of caught me off guard. Um, but you clearly have had coffee, and that's great. And, um, you know, because you're sitting in the front, you're in these front seats, all the blessing upon you people who sit up here. May your kids be well-behaved. May you be even greater looking than you already are. Might the world just bend its ways toward you because you have sat, call yourselves blessed. And for those of you who sit in the other seats, nothing, zero, <laughs> nothing. Just look at, you want to see what it looks like to follow Jesus? It's right up here, right up here. I'm really glad you guys are here. If you're new with us, really glad that you decided to join us. Um, this is a place we say often these words that um, this is a place full of people who do not have every answer. We have not got it all figured out. And um, if you are looking for a place where someone knows all the answers, it's not here. I can tell you that we're a group of people who are sincerely trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and how to love other people, and none of us does that perfectly. But um, we are a group of people who do have a lot of fun, and we do take Jesus really seriously. We don't take ourselves that seriously, but um, we are really, really glad that you're here. Um, as we start this series, um, I do want to tell you, um, so grateful for last week and, and what um, some of the responses people had. I talked to one person who said, this is the coolest thing, especially if you're like new and you're investigating our church or you're curious about Jesus. This person goes, I've been coming to this church since it was, a, you know, just right after it stopped being a video venue, which was like three and a half years ago. And they go, I've been coming for, you know, which is almost four years. And they go, I've been coming for four years. And last week was the first time I decided to make a decision to trust Jesus. But it took them that long to get to this place. And if you're someone who's investigating the idea of faith in Jesus, and, you know, mostly it sounds like I'm trying to convince you of like, aliens, you know, or extraterrestrials, and you're like, I'm not sure about this yet, you know, but hopefully you're, you're so warmly welcomed by the community that you feel like, I could at least investigate things and ask questions here, because that's what we want to be for you. So anyway, very cool stuff last week. Um, as we start this series, I, you know, as I was thinking about it, you know, this idea of loving where you live, it's, it's a very funny phrase. I mean, you see it a lot. People want to love where they live. It's kind of an advertising ploy. You know, you kind of get the sense from people that it's, it's like a, um, if you, well, let me do it this way. If you Google the phrase, if you just Googled love where you live or you searched lovewhereyoulive.com, the first answer you'll get on love where you live, the first thing you get if you're searching Google is the Irvine Company apartment housing like strategy. In fact, here's a screen. You have a screenshot of this? I think I have a screenshot of like, if you look at lovewhereyoulive.com, I think I sent it to you, Mikey. There it is. Look, this is, I typed in, look at the top, it says irvinecompany.com. I typed in lovewhereyoulive.com just out of curiosity to see if we could buy the domain so we could use it for our series. We can't because Irvine Company already has it. And look at it, they have really attractive people and right above them says love where you live and it's a registered trademark. So I don't know what we're supposed to do. If we're going to get sued, I hope not, but all them, you know, I don't know how we could possibly not love where we live. But there's this idea there that kind of goes with it. It's based on this advertising notion that says, there's something about you, which all ads are like this. There's something that says, we want to create in you a kind of dissatisfaction with where you presently live, where you presently are, so that you might want something else. Like you look at your life and go, if I could upgrade my amenities, if I could have nicer pools, or I could live around attractive people, like people that go to Marriage Mission Viejo, or things like that, that I could leave my cruddy life and then somehow take on another one so that I could love it. In other words, the, the, over and over again, what you get is, if I, if I could leave where I am now and go somewhere else, then I could truly love where I live. Exactly. <laughs> you know, the idea of loving where we live is kind of a right that we've all been deprived of. At least that's what the advertisers want us to believe. You know, that I could be in a neighborhood with the right kind of people who would, in the right zip code, that would do all these things for me. And we want all that. So we want to love where we live. None of us want to live in a place where we go, well, I'm tolerating where I live or I hate where I live. We want to love where we live. And in all of this stuff and all the slogans and all of this kind of, all the idea of upgrading your life by escaping where you presently are, 
all of them miss the critical component of how to love where you live. And we're going to talk about that today and over the course of the series. So before we get into it, let's pray. Jesus, we are, um, we are grateful that you've given us another shot at life, another day to be together, another day to wonder, another day to ask questions, another day um, maybe for the first time in so many people's lives in this room just to come and visit and see what it might look like to walk with you. Lord, we are a group of people who long to be loved. We're desperate to know that our lives matter. We're desperate to know that we have significance in the world. We're longing for hope. We're longing for relationship. And for so many of us, we, have, we live in fear. And we have been told lies. And we have believed lies that we are unlovable and unwanted. Might today, Jesus, be a day in which people in this room live out of the truth of the reality that is that you love us more than we could ever know. Father, might you in some way give to us a sense about how you have placed us wherever we live to be people who love. Father, for just a moment as we pause every week kind of customarily, would you speak to us in the stillness about how much you deeply love us, even in the parts of our life we feel like that are unlovable? Would you, however you do it, Would you speak to us in this stillness, Father? Jesus, we we anticipate great things. We anticipate that you're already at work in this room and that you're going to reveal stuff to us and that you're going to challenge us and that we would be, um, in some way or another, we'd walk out of this place knowing a better slice of how much you love us and your passion for the world, Jesus. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to have a lot to cover. I'm really excited about all of it, and I, but you know, it, I, I just want to make sure you, I'm going to move pretty quick. And um, we're going to be, if you want to follow along, there's a, bull, there's a little outline in your bulletin if you want to pull that out. Um, you can take a look at that. We're going to be in, in Genesis 12 for part of today and then a little bit in Jeremiah 29. So what we're going to bounce around after that. But um, turn there. I'm going to move quick and then um, we're going we're gonna to have some fun. So um, let's do this. Um, to understand what the heart of what it means to love where you live, to get this whole idea, to understand this, we have to start at a very kind of bizarre place, which is the idea of tribe, the notion of tribes. All right. Now, the way we do that is to start in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, household to the land I will show you. We'll leave that up there for just a sec. Now, you have Abram, who's a guy who later gets his name changed a couple chapters later to Abraham. But here's this guy who's just this regular Mesopotamian guy, and God shows up to him and says, hey, I want you to leave everything you know and go to this other place. The word tribes often is used, you often see it in different ways in the Bible. You see words like nations or peoples or things like that. And he says, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Meaning, I want you to leave your tribe, the place that you know, and I want you to go to another place. I'm going to show it to you. This is the plan. Now, in the idea of a a tribe, I'm going to give you a definition, a working definition, so that we all can kind of operate at least with some kind of common understanding. This is not from an anthropologist. This is from a a leadership innovation guy whose name is Seth Godin. Some of you guys might read his blog. He's not a Christian. But he's a guy who has a good handle on the idea of what it means to be a tribe. I just want you to see this real quick. Here's this definition. It's on the screen. It says this. A tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. Continuing on. 
Human beings have always been part of one tribe or another. A group needs only two things to be a tribe, a shared interest and a way to communicate. Now, he's, he, this guy Abram has been connected to the group of people, his own father, his own land, his own country. He knows about how his group of people are working. And God sends him out from there to be somewhere else. Now, in the ancient Near East, people live in a, under a constant threat of invasion, resource pillaging. They're worried about war. They're worried about all kinds of stuff. And the best protection against that kind of thing is a tribe. In other words, in some way, if we gathered everybody together and we said, let's protect all of our stuff because we're all in, then nobody else can take it. Or if they do, it's going to be much harder for them. And so we operate as this way, you know, kind of helping each other survive. And the, the, the way this kind of works is this. Tribes are for protection. And it's based on this simple idea that every single person who belongs to a tribe or needs a tribe, which another way I say is every single person because everybody needs a tribe, is operating with one guiding principle, which is self-preservation. So people live in tribes to protect their own interests, and because other people are part of the tribe, what they say then is, you're also with us, and you protect my interests, and I protect you, but we're going to try to live together so that nobody can take our stuff and nobody pillages us. Now, what happens when you have as a guiding principle for a tribe, which all of us can start connecting with a little bit here, what you have as a guiding principle when you talk about a tribe is that you start with a belief that everybody who is not from your tribe, the default position is, if you're not from our tribe, then you are not someone with whom, not someone we can trust. We can't place our trust in you. We have this kind, you're unknown to us. If you're unknown to us, then it means then that there's, a, there's some assumptions that have to be made that most likely if you're not from our tribe, you must therefore at least be a little bit dangerous because you might want our stuff. And then we also have a little bit of suspicion, which is that idea here. Well, there's some assumptions with that person's different than us. They don't love like we do. They're mean. They're whatever else it is. And we start developing some suspicion, which can easily gravitate towards hate. People in the ancient world understood tribes. It's how they survive. Now, God calls this one guy out of his tribe, a guy named Abram. He calls him out of his tribe, and he says, I'm going to send you somewhere else. Why does he do that? Verse 2, and I will make you into a great nation, tribe, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So here's Abram. He's gonna, you're going to be now, God is saying, you're going to be the leader of this new tribe. You're going to build a tribe, a new nation. It's going to be enormous, and people are going to love you. It's going to be great. You're, you're going to be a blessing. Not just you're going to be blessed, but you're going to be a blessing. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, just so you know, what this kind of means is the word bless is a plural bless. Like everybody's going to be blessed. The word curse is only singular, meaning God is basically saying the simple way to say this is the blessing's going everywhere, and the cursing is going to be pretty limited. But it's basically saying, I'm going with you. You're my guy. Abram, I'm go- I am going to be with you, and I have given you authority, and I am, fo- I am going to f- follow in your footsteps and lead you where you ought to go. It is going to be you, and you're going to lead. And he says, your new tribe, this one, you've been sent out from this one place, what you knew to another place, it has a very clear purpose. It is to bless all the people of the earth. 
Now, that is bizarre. Because up until that time, everybody else on, the, else on the earth is someone with whom we have to treat with a great deal of suspicion. And tribes were only designed to self-preserve. And now God says to this one person, your job isn't to self-preserve. It's to look outward at the world and go, how do I bless the world? That's your mission, Abram. It isn't simply that your job is to hide out from the world and be kind of unique from it. Like, oh, I have a special purpose and I kind of go and hide. It isn't that you, Abram, go and try to figure out a way to remove yourself. It isn't that your job is to try to criticize or condemn all the peoples of the world. Your job is to bless. all The, the way your people and your tribe will be known is because its purpose is not simply to hide out or to protect, but to bless. It's a new ethic being expressed. It's kind of like this. The focal point of whatever new tribe or this new club is, is that in some way or another, the whole purpose, the entire intent of all these people gathering together, this new tribe, is that all the benefits of membership go to the non-members. Hey, look, you're all in. How are you going to bless everybody else? It's us for the world. Now, nobody, nobody likes this idea. He doesn't say to Abram, you know, hey, look, here's the deal. I want you to be totally, the idea is for you to be blessed and just kind of hoard it for yourself. He says, I want it to be turned out wise. This isn't entitled self-preservation. It's a selfless commissioning. I'm sending you into this place that you don't even know yet with people that you are suspicious of and your job is to bless them. Now, we're not, you know, we're not from the ancient Near East. Some of you are maybe from the Near East. But we do get the idea of tribes. We get it. We have, uh, we have football teams that we have loyalty toward. I do. My team keeps losing to the teams they're supposed to beat. We have baseball teams. We have preferences. We have, we have families. We have neighborhoods, zip codes, area codes. We have things, even though we don't like to talk about it because it's a little uncomfortable, we have things like race and gender and all this other stuff that we go, ah, you know, those people are, you know, they're, I mean, I like them, but I, if they can stay a little bit further away, that'd be great. We have loyalties that protect ourselves, and anybody who would move into our area where our world starts to overlap, we go, how do I quarantine them in a really poli polite way? Because I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to look, I don't want to be that person, but I also don't know, you know. There's cultural differences, you understand. I mean, there's all that kind of stuff, right? We have tribes. There are tribes in this room. How many of you, by show of hands, uh, have, have, you're sitting in a place, just, I know we moved you around a little bit, but how many of you have never sat in the other side of the room, whatever it might be? You've only sat in one side of the room. Okay. How many of you are with someone, you, like a couple, like you came with someone else, you're sitting next to them, but you've only, you've never sat in the other side of a room? Wait, wait, that can't be true. There's nobody now, everybody, great. Okay, so here was a guy. Put your hands up. One more time. This is hands up. And you've never been on the other side of the room and you're with someone, you came with them today. Okay, so, okay, is that, Bob, is that you right there? I can't really tell. Is that you? Okay, come up here. Come up here. How many of you guys are over here? Just real quick. You guys, with, you guys in the middle right there, I'm going to make you uncomfortably walk across everybody. Come over here. Come over here real quick. Yeah, come over here. Bob, no, bring your wife. Not alone. That's why I asked about couples. <laughs> there you go. Now you have to hold hands because if you didn't, then it'd be terrible. Okay, come on up here. Okay, you guys, come all the way up here. All the way up on the stage. This is, this is what you thought would happen today, huh? Look at that. Look, there's people over there. Look at that. How, many, how crazy is that? Okay, come on up here, you guys. Okay, why don't you guys introduce yourself? Look at that. Did you see the other room? Is that crazy? Look at the stunned look on their faces. Is that bizarre? Okay, shake hands. Okay, go ahead. Bradley. Bradley. Great. 
Now, did you, did you have a purse or something over there? I did. Okay, uh, Carolyn's going to go guard it for, for you, okay? So here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to switch places right now. I send you from this land to the other, all right, to go and bless these people. Discover the new land. I'm serious. Go sit over there and enjoy it. Go ahead. Can you guys help, her, help these folks find her? Yeah, they're over there. They're over there. There you go. Yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Welcome them warmly. There you go. We'll give you time. Don't worry. If you, do, if you run, it's not a big deal. No, I'm just kidding. Now that we have them this sense already, we have it. There you go. There's the pin. The pin is the best. We're right here. It's the Google pin. That's so good. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, now, okay, here's the deal. There's all this suspicion right now. She's wondering if Carolyn's might rifle through the purse a little bit. Oh, wow. They have, what's that ointment for? That's weird. Uh, you know, whatever else it might be. Now, there is all, we, we live in a world which we are used to having our people in our place, and to mess it up, it's just so bizarre. I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to hear a word I say, these, these two couples, because now all of a sudden, I've moved them from their place. They're with these strange people who are so different than they are, because they're on the other side of this hideous wall. Now, we understand tribes. We understand what this means. But it raises the question, especially just by this little object lesson here, it raises the question, what am I supposed to do with the other if I'm in this other place with all these suspicious people who I'm not sure if I should hate yet, but, you know, I don't know them, what am I supposed to do? What am I suppo- how am I supposed to live? In the book of Jeremiah, you have this, the, um, Jeremiah is a prophet writing to people who are in captivity, and he's telling them, it, it's like a pretty heavy book, if you've been reading it, kind of tracking along with the one you're reading feel. It's like, wow, this is heavy. But, it kind of explains how you're supposed to live when people take you captive. And here's the way it's described, and it's incredibly strange. Here's what it is. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, what's being acknowledged here is you guys have been taken from the place you know, Jerusalem, not by your own will. You have been taken by these people, the Babylonians, who are in no uncertain terms the bullies of the 6th century B.C. They are people who are running you know, roughshod all over the entire ancient world. These are people who have ransacked the temple. They have burned crops, taken people, killed your sons and brothers, and now they are taking you into their land. They're making you live with them. And the instruction here about to happen is, how are you supposed to live with these people? These people who are horrible people, are you supposed to strike out against them? Stabbing people? Are you supposed to kind of try to, with some kind of subterfuge, kind of overthrow the government? Are you supposed to try to undermine everything? Are you supposed to simply sit by idly and kind of take it? Kind of roll over and just see what happens? Are you supposed to try to hide out so you can avoid whatever it is they're doing? Because those, seems, those things seem logical. When the bully comes in and takes you out, threatens your family, or ruins everything, you go, well, I'm going to get him back, or I'm going to try to avoid him. Here's this shocking thing that, that Jeremiah says. Well, it's God says to Jeremiah, verse 5. To all, look at this unbelievable retribution revolutionary act. Build houses. That'll teach them. And settle down and plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Wait a second. 
So these people ruin our lives. They uproot us from our families. They take us into this other land. And what you're telling us, God, is we're supposed to make it feel like home? Yeah. And then he says there's another, he just pushes it another step. This is so much like what you see God do all the time. Like you thought it was this, it's actually this. Look what it says in verse 7. Verse, uh, yeah, verse 7 says this. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray, for, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, what the people would have anticipated is, hey, you know, pray for Jerusalem, because that's, our, that's us. That's where we are. For, you know, you got to pray for Jerusalem. What they get is pray for the city of these people, these evil bullies who have captured you and taken you and put you through all kinds of duress. Pray for them. Build into the city. Make it great. Hope and pray and be a part of its prospering because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Don't simply sit idly by and go, wow, I hope the world just kind of, you know, doesn't, I hope they kind of figure their world out because, you know, it's, no, no. Don't strike out, don't condemn. Be a part of blessing the city. This is what it means to love where you live. We are tribal people who are inherently suspicious of people who are around us. Some of the people we're most suspicious of, some of the most elaborate stories we have in our own minds are about the people who live in our neighborhoods. <laughs> like, you know what that guy does? I don't know. It involves a scuba tank and a battle axe. I don't know what that is, but it's crazy. You know what? We have like these stories. We imagine with suspicion. In fact, like I said, we have sort of a a safe, polite quarantine for our neighbors where we see each other and we take our trash out and it's like, hey, good to see you. Not really, but I'm just putting my trash out here. Don't make eye contact. I mean, it's like we're polite and cordial, but we're kind of not sure what to do with those people. To love where we live isn't simply to say, all right, well, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to love whoever happens to come through my door. It's that maybe God has put you in a place. Wherever it might be, among the evil captors of your life, whatever that might be. So that you might unleash or release or put into practice a new kind of tribalism that is intent on making your neighbors thrive. The Bible is a story over and over and over again of people who are undeserving being blessed by God. And more so, as it's always, there's this and then there's another thing. It's not simply that people who are undeserving being blessed by God. It's people who are undeserving being blessed by God to bless other people. That's the story of the Bible. Now we have a natural resistance to this kind of stuff. You know, our lives are sophisticated and we're not in the ancient Near East. And we still are working towards self-preservation. We freak out when people might threaten us. We threaten the, we're worried by the idea that if, there's, if someone really knew something about us or if we knew something about them, then we'd be responsible for it. We have places in our lives that are kind of our sanctuary that we don't want anybody to kind of come and, you know, violate that by being in there. Generally, that's our house. Some of us who are so, we're, we're so terrified that other people from those other tribes we don't know would ruin everything. And we're uncomfortable with the idea of other people around us. We like people who are sanitized, who come through, maybe they come through the church, and then we go, oh, yeah, you're part of that church, now we can be friends. But throughout the Bible, God sends people to bless other people, and it is always uncomfortable. It always is. 
Here's what he does. Here's Jesus' own mission in the world. We read this passage at, uh, at Christmas, and it's this passage right here. It's in, it's in uh, John chapter 1. It says this. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is talking about Jesus. He was coming in, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Here's Jesus, the one, the Bible talks about him being the author and sustainer of all life. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Colossians. Here's Jesus, the one who made everything, now comes to walk among the earth, and nobody recognizes him. He came into a world. And people did not recognize him as their own. They did not even see who he was. Verse 12, that yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Abram is sent to a place. Israel is, the the people, are captured and taken to a place. God himself sends himself to a place to make his home. The word dwelling is a word that actually means like, more closely resembles the idea of making, like setting up a tent, setting up camp. He intends to live in and among the people. Not for the purposes of hiding out, but for the purposes of blessing And those people don't even understand Jesus. They don't like him. They don't like what he does. He keeps associating with all these people from the other tribes who are not supposed to be associating with people who have his job description. And people are furious and they go, why are you eating with those people? And why are you associating with those people? Don't you know that they don't come from the same tribe? Their tribe is filthy and dirty. They have a tribe of shame. They have a tribe of a past. They have a tribe that shouldn't be loved. They have a tribe of a trail of bad decisions. And you keep associating with them, Jesus. Because you keep doing that, you then must therefore be like them, and we can't have that. And then, Jesus, consistent throughout the Bible, takes it another step. Because first of all, we understand the idea of being people who have been somehow left out, disenfranchised. We have the experience of being people who have shame and guilt. We have the experience of being people who have done things we regret, we have the experience of having done things that if people, if God really knew, if people really knew that I did this, then God wouldn't want me around. We like the idea of God being around us. We like the idea of God saying, no, 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 I got you. I love you. We start getting trouble with is when God says the next most dangerous thing. Check this out. This is John chapter 17. Jesus has been praying. It's a really long prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It begins in John 16, actually. He's praying. Here's what it looks like. He's praying to his own father. My prayer is not that you take them, meaning the disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, Jesus has, he has this prayer in which he says, my goal isn't to take these disciples who have now been won over to God's kingdom and all of God's kingdom purposes and all that stuff, and to me, and to make them sort of find their own little desert community by themselves. No, 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 no. I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to keep them safe, protect them. But as you've sent me, so I'm sending them, which means Jesus has been sent by God to do the most dangerous work, to be among people and that he will love who will hate him. And Jesus' Jesus's prayer for the disciples is, as you sent me, 
just like that, I'm praying that you would do the same with them. The same thing. Which means all of the old tribal implications, all of that stuff, all of it begins to get unwound a little bit. What he says is, I want these people, my disciples, to dwell among those who may not even receive them. I want them to make the city prosper. Even when the city goes, I'm not sure I, I, I like the love thing you got going. I'm not sure I'm really into it. The beneficiaries will be the non-members. The church, then, is a group of people who say, as, as God has sent Jesus, so he sends me. It isn't that we would be extracted from the world, it's that we'd be sent into it. The early church began to figure out some of the implications for this. The Apostle Paul writes in uh, his letter to the church in Colossae, he writes this in um, Colossians 3, verse 11. Look at this. Look at all these tribes that are listed here. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What he says is, if you're going to live in this world, is, you know, we put that, that slide back up? When he says, if you're going to live in this world, in our, this new tribe, it's going to be comprised of people. Look at all these old things he says. All these people. I don't know what a Scythian is, but I'm sure they're scary, ugly people, right? Sorry if you're a Scythian in here, right? But he says, these are all people everybody was afraid of. We found ways to define who our tribe was and wasn't. We were really careful about saying, we're in and they're not. And Paul says, put it back on the screen. I want to keep pointing to it because it makes me feel more important. Okay. But Paul says, listen, the only thing that's going to matter isn't these old descriptions of people. It's that we belong to Jesus, the community of people who belongs to Jesus. And if you're a person who insists on having these definitions reinforced over and over again, you're going to miss the point. And he says that the way that you ought to dress yourself, like now, you know, like I told you, my football team keeps losing on teams they're supposed to beat, and they're also losing teams that they should lose to, but that's not fun. But you can tell which team people belong to because they wear clothes. They wear hideous red and yellow, or they wear beautiful blue and gold. But it's different. It doesn't matter. Like with that. But you can tell which team people belong to and with whom they've associated. And what Paul says is there's a new way to dress yourself. Because you've been chosen for this purpose. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The way that this new tribe of people is going to live isn't with the old means of the old tribe. It's going to be with the scary steps into humility and compassion and gentleness and patience. Those are things I do not wear well. I wish I did. (laughs) Someone's getting a phone call from Siri or something over there. That's so awesome. There are things I don't wear well. I wish I did, but I don't. But that's God's intention for the church. Keep that up there just a little longer. If you were to ask people in the world how, how good of a job is the church at doing this? Now, fair or not, I don't think we'd get that great of a report card. I think maybe some would get better than others. People in the front row, of course, obviously, these, these chairs. Pa- I mean, they're more than passing. They're graduate level. If you ask people about how the church might have, how does the church perceive them, I think what they would say is, more often than not, 
Now, there are obvious exceptions. Whether or not it's true, what they would say is, I think the church probably sees me as someone that's unknown to them that they don't want to know. I think the church is suspicious of people like me. I think the church is, has made some assumptions about me, and maybe in some way or another I feel, maybe it's not hate, but I feel some kind of resistance to me. What does it look like for a group of people who belong to a club where the, all of the benefits of membership belong to the non-members? It means that we go, there is something, and there's this crazy thing that happens. For people who belong in this, this group of people, what they start saying is, the most fun I've ever had is when I'm working for the people who aren't yet here. I love that. Serving the community with love, passion, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God's intention is for that people, not people who belong to him, his followers, not to live invisibly in the world, not to simply strike out and attack it, but to live in such a way that they elevate the prospering of the city, that there is, they put into action love. And to love where you live means releasing that kind of life into the world. But this is all the way from the beginning of the Bible in Exodus chapter 19. You have this verse. I want you to see this. Exodus 19, verse 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, this is God speaking to his people. This is, you know, right around, this is like God speaking to Moses here and you're about to get the Ten Commandments and it's already, maybe you just got them. It's like right that same, there at Mount Sinai. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasured possession. You're my special people. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Not just the priests, everybody's the priest. uh, Peter repeats the same thing in 1 Peter 2. It's the same kind of idea. Now, the question you have to ask is, what do priests do? What do priests do? Priest stands between God and the people and forms a bridge. That's the simplest definition of what a priest does. There's all these people over here, and here's God over here, and the priest says, let me connect you two. That's it. And what's what's, what's being said here is, that is our job. And you're like, that's right, that's your job. I, you know, I come here and you wear a microphone and it always bugs you, I can tell, and whatever, but that's your job. You do that. You're the, no, no, no. It's your job. You know, last week we had an opportunity for people to trust Jesus for the first time in their life. Some people, it takes a really long time. Sometimes people are like, I want it right now. What we talk about when we talk about the idea of telling people about Jesus is we just want to give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That's it. That's our, that's our whole thing. We want to be people who illustrate what life with, light, like, life with God is like. And we help people cross a bridge to him. That's it. That's what priests do. You are the priests. You are the pastor. Whoops. The secret to loving where you live, to really loving where you live, is loving the people and caring about the community in which you live. It's not what you get from the community. It's not how you can get the most from the community. It's about putting love into practice in your community. Now, because people will live in the worst places in the world. People will choose to live in Texas. (laughs) And they don't live there because it's wonderful and it's so beautiful. No, it's terrible. And those of you who live in Texas, you're delusional. Because I talk to you after that, you're like, it's wonderful. I'm like, well, I'm going to continue to pray for you, you know, like, it's miserable there. 
But the reason people live in those kinds of places is because of the people that they have grown to love there. I mean, haven't you ever driven on a road trip through a place and thought, who in the world would live here? Like if you've driven through Texas, you just go, who would live here? And the only possible explanation to live in these miserable places is because these people have formed a bond with each other that says, we love this place, not because it's where it is, it's because the people that are here. If you really want to love where you live, love where you live. God has placed you in your neighborhood, in your school, in your job, on your team, in your gym, in your usual Starbucks with those usual people who you stand closer than you ever stand to anybody else in your life who you don't know in a line. I mean, they are right there. And you're like, you don't even speak to that person, you know? It's like, get out of here. I got to pay for my start. You know, it's like you stand that close to people. But God has placed you with all in, in, the, in that kind of community for the reason to love it, to love them. You do not have to have all the answers. People are so worried about having all the answers and getting it right. But your job is to make bridges that illustrate what life, with light, like, what life is like with God. You can say things that are simple like, I don't know how to explain it, but I think it might have something to do with Jesus. That's a really helpful phrase. But it's about loving your community. I want you to see, now some of you are like, what am I going to do? i got to throw a giant, huge event if you want to. But let me show you the story right here. Check this out on video. Maybe shed some insight. So we've lived in Costa Mesa for about 10 years. It's a city that we absolutely love. It's a real vibrant place with a lot of diversity, um, but also a city that there seems to be kind of a two cities within one city that's really divided by the 55 freeway between east side Costa Mesa and west side Costa Mesa. And for us, it was really seeing that was one thing, but really to have our awareness heightened to what was going on uh, right outside of our door. So one of the things that we felt compelled to, to be involved with is one particular neighborhood that we've, we've known and been around for a while. Uh, a lot of kids in this neighborhood, there's a park there, and kind of an absence of just uh, mentors and people that are around. So we just decided really simply just to, to be with the kids. Basically, a lot of times just show up to the neighborhood, and the kids are um, oftentimes just waiting in the park. They're looking forward to us coming, um, and we just play. <laughs> It's pretty simple. That's pretty much their favorite thing is just when we play soccer or we uh, come up with a silly relay race or something like that. We just play. One of the most surprising things has been the fact that we just have to show up and it makes a big difference. You know, we come to church and it feels like things are so well done and, you know, there's programs that are incredible and sometimes we feel the pressure to have to do that um, in our lives or wherever we go. and. Uh, sometimes that can be a little bit overwhelming, but we found that just showing up and playing has been one of the most life-changing things for the kids. That's been pretty incredible for us, time and again, just to show up with nothing, just um, just us, <laughs> and uh, it's been great. And now for our daughter to, to be there and be involved in that, and to see that neighborhood as people that we don't just drive past, but those are people that are our friends and that we care for, has just been incredible for us. We live in Costa Mesa, and we love where we live. Okay. <laughs> Here's their elaborate plan. We're going to go to the park and play with our daughter and invite other kids who are there to play with us. And I have to tell you, there's so much more to this story, but it all started with simply that. We, we live here. We can love here, too. 
What does it mean to put love into full-on unleashed action in the smallest way where you live? What she said is, I was so worried about like how polished everything has to be and how wonderful everything has to be, and I don't think I have, we don't have the resources to do it. All she, but it turned out that all we had to do was just come play with kids who are waiting for them to show up. There are heartbroken, busted up people in your lives who are living a wonderfully coated veneer over themselves that says everything's fine, and we all know that's not true because we do it too. So what does it look like to, le- to love where you live? I want you to do this. I told you that, you know, you're the pastor, but you're going, where am I the pastor? Let me just take, first of all, I want you to do this. I want you to consider for just a moment where you live. Now, I want you to talk, now some of you, I want you to think about where, what, is that, what does live, where I live mean? For some of you, it may be more appropriate to think about a school. It might be more appropriate to think about a job. For some of you, it's just your house, but I want you to think about it, and I want you to imagine where that is in your head, And I want you to draw as best as you can a one-mile radius around that area and go, I'm the pastor here. I'm the priest. I don't have to know any special prayers or wear special clothes or I have to have a special wave or whatever as I walk. Be Be you. But assume this. God has placed you there to love it. Now you have to start adopting. You know, people will, will start, you know, wondering what am I supposed to do and how do you love it? I just want you to know it's not an accident that you're there. For those of you who are curious about Jesus, you're investigating this, here's what I want you to just understand. If you're like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not a priest. I, I, what are you, this is weird. Okay, listen. I want you to catch this. This is what God's intent is for the church. People would unleash love. I don't want, you know, this isn't about trying to, this isn't about trying to unleash an agenda. It's just simply saying we're going to be the people who look at our neighborhoods and people around us, and we say, we're going to figure out how to be intentional about loving these people and this place. I heard a story of, this is just a couple examples, there's a story of a, of a friend of mine. Every day she'd drive by the same, every, she realized there was the same person, homeless person, every day. She drove by every single day, saw this person every single day. And so what she decided to do is they began to make eye contact. She just thought, well, I'm going to start waving to him. So she waved to him. He didn't do, he didn't do anything. Wave, 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 kept on waving, kept on waving. Finally, he gave her the nod. That's it. And then, so it's wave, nod, wave, nod, wave, nod. Then he waves. And then one day she does this crazy thing. She just goes, she goes, is there any way I can care for you? You know, it would be okay if I prayed for you? Sure. And then he told, and then there's this, there's a beginning of this thing that just says, there's someone in my one mile radius who needs to be loved. One step at a time. Heard a story of a guy from another church who did this thing where he said, I got my one-mile radius. And he's driving into his neighborhood, and he sees a, um, actually he's driving out of his neighborhood, and he sees a guy in an RV, like, you know, busted up. And he's like, he gets a little ways away from him, and he's like, that's too bad for that guy. Oh! I have to go care for that guy. This, and he's like, this is, this is the worst. Does the U-turn, comes back and goes, hey, can I give you a hand? They started a long friendship, relationship. Love in the city. There's a guy in my neighborhood, a guy who is, he's real curious about God. He's real curious about what I do because I'm mostly the weirdest thing people have ever seen in their lives. Like, <laughs> you're a pastor? But he's, you know, he's always curious about what I do and he's, you know, him and his girlfriend have lived together for a long time and, you know, I think he was wondering to see if I would just kind of go 
you know, like yell at him for that or something like that. And it's, you know, okay, you know, like I don't get to make decisions for your life. Anyway, he keeps asking about stuff. And he goes, his dad has recently come to live with him because his dad's, um, he's got dementia and he's starting to really kind of go over, you know, kind of start to get worse and worse. He's got full-time care workers there. And so I talked to him, and, you know, Paul's like, how's it going? He asked about my kids, and we talk about stuff, and his girlfriend had gone through some really difficult health things, and I said, hey, you know, I'll be praying for her. And he was, I mean, just this little bit of, like, over a long period of relationship was like, thank you so much. For the full-time health workers that come help with his dad, they have kids, and so there's been times where we've done stuff in our neighborhood, and we just invite their kids to come and play with our kids and be a part of stuff. I don't know what that means to him ultimately in his life. I don't have every answer solved for him. I can't figure everything out for him. But there's a little piece of me that goes, I'm connected to this guy who's two doors down from me. What does it look like for you? No, why don't you close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to picture in your own head with a little bit more detail where it is that you live. I mean, picture the people and the faces and those who are longing to be connected, those who have not yet been connected. Picture those people who are a little bit at a distance from you because they're safer that way. What will it look like to take one step toward a deeper, more humble, compassionate, patient love for them. God, we want to be people who love where we live. We want to grow and to be the kind of people who understand and know what it means to be sent by you. Jesus, like all things, we don't have it all figured out. But we know you do. It's no accident that we are where we are. Help us to live with deep passion and joy and love in the midst of people, that they might get a glimpse of what life with you is like. So Jesus, would you hear us as we sing with great passion and maybe some fear about what it means to do this, to live this out in our communities. So Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.